you've got your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn real quickly uh, to the very familiar chapter of the traditional Christmas story? Uh, if your family's like mine, this is one of those passages that we've read last night uh, and today, Luke chapter 2. This morning, we are concluding our series of studies for this Christmas season that we've entitled The Christmas Story. It's a prophecy fulfilled. If you've been here over the last several Sunday mornings, we started off by looking at the promise of Christmas out of Genesis chapter 3. Last Sunday, we looked at the miracle of Christmas out of Luke chapter 1. And this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to talk about, think about the coming or the fulfillment of Christmas out of Luke chapter 2. Really, I wanted to entitle uh, this sermon this morning, Happy Birthday, Jesus, because that's really uh, what today is all about. I mean, because when you get past really all the tinsel and toys and all the reindeer with shiny noses and the dancing Santas, when you really get down to what Christmas is all about, what you're going to discover is that it is about a little baby that was born in Bethlehem to save his people from their sin. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is a birthday party for Jesus. That's, that's what Christmas uh, really is. There was a little girl, she put it this way. She said, when I think of Jesus's childhood, there's a thing that I must get straight. If Christmas wasn't Christmas, how did Jesus celebrate? I know he didn't have a tree with lights and all the trim. I'll bet his mother, Mary, baked a Christmas cake for him. She probably called it birthday cake with the candles all aglow. Then little Jesus made his wish and blew him out with just one blow. And little Jesus' friends were there with presents they would bring. Since they didn't have the carols, what fun songs did they sing? I think they sang the birthday song and had all kinds of fun. Then Mary cut that birthday cake a piece for everyone. Since Christmas is still his birthday, I rejoice for Jesus' sake. I love the tree and lights and toys, <laughs> and I'd like some birthday cake. <laughs> Christmas is Jesus' birthday. And so here's what I want us to do this morning real quickly as we gather together to celebrate and commemorate Jesus' birthday. I want us to do something just a little bit different. I don't want us to focus so much on the baby's coming. We've really done that over the last several weeks as we've talked about the meaning and the manner of his coming. This morning what I want to do is I want us to focus on those who came to his birthday. You know, they're always guests at birthdays. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at those who came to celebrate and those who came to commemorate uh, his birthday. There was a man who asked his wife one day, he said, hey, honey, what would you like for your birthday and she looked back at her husband she said oh I would love to be 10 again he said you got it so on the day of her birthday he woke her up she took her he took her down to the amusement park and he put her on every ride in the place I mean he put her on the the, the wheel of death and uh, the, the the wall of fear and the screaming loop and she had to go on every single ride that was there she staggered out of that amusement park five hours later her head was reeling her stomach was churning and then off to the movie theater where he put more into her popcorn and cola and sweets and later she staggered home and her husband uh, clapped her into the bed. And then her husband leaned over her and he said, Hey, honey, I sure hope that you had a great birthday. What was it like being 10 again? And she opened up one eye and she groaned at her husband. And she well, said, Actually, honey, I meant dress size. Look there in Luke chapter 2. Let me show you three groups that celebrated the birthday of Jesus some 2,000 years ago. Now, let me introduce you to these persons, and then I want you to see the principles that we can learn from each and every one of them. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, let's talk about the angels first and the fact that the angels announced the Savior. Uh, notice what the Bible says. When, because when you begin reading here in Luke chapter 2, what you're going to find is that at first there was one angel announcing the birth of the Savior, and then all of a sudden there were many angels applauding and acclaiming the 
the birth of the Savior. Look there beginning in verse 8. And let me show you what the angels said. The Bible says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, I want you to put your finger right there. Save your space right there because we're coming back there in just a moment. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And so just on an ordinary night on an ordinary hillside outside of the very ordinary city of Bethlehem, something absolutely extraordinary happened. There were some shepherds who were out there doing what shepherds do. They were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And all of a sudden, Luke tells us that there was an angel who appeared to them clothed in the glory of God. And that angel gave them a message about the coming of the Christ. Now, you probably knew all of that again. You probably have read that. You studied that. You even shared that last night or this morning. Let me ask you, what is wrong with this picture? Because remember, this is not the birth of an ordinary son. This is the birth of the Son of God. And yet, as you read through Luke chapter 2, I want you to notice what these shepherds were, were told to look for. They were not told to look for a king on a throne. They were not supposed to look for an angel on a cloud, but rather they were to look for a baby in a manger. They were not supposed to go to a palace. They were not told to go to a mansion. They were told to go to a stable. Would he be surrounded by servants? No, he would be surrounded by sheep. Would he be lying on a beautiful bed? No, he would be laid in a feed trough. Would he be living in a palace of a king? No, his home would be the stable of a cow. Would he be wrapped up in a velvet comforter? No, he would be wrapped in swaddling clothes, just common, ordinary rags. And the angel said to those shepherds in verse 10 that they were not supposed to be afraid. He said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. So here's the question. Why was this such good news? Well, the angel goes on and explains in verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Now, time out. Put your, put your thinking caps on. I know you got up at four o'clock this morning or five o'clock or some of you backslider slid uh, slept into like 9 30 uh, and but put your put your thinking cap on for me uh, this morning in the old testament the word savior describes a deliverer from one's enemies and by the way in all of the old testament the Messiah is never called Savior. That word always refers to God who delivers his people from defeat and disease and death. As a matter of fact, in the Word of God, it makes it plain that the title Savior belongs to God and God alone. God himself said in Isaiah 43, verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. He said it again in Isaiah 49, verse 26, All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. You will never understand you and I will never comprehend the real meaning of Christmas nor the real joy of this season until we get it down really good in our hearts that Christmas is the coming of a Savior. Because the Apostle John said over in 1 John chapter 4, he says, And we have seen and also testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ came into this world to be our Savior. As a matter of fact, before he was born, that angel of the Lord said to Mary in Matthew 1, 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And again, the name Jesus, that is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua, which literally means Savior. So again, think about it. Put your caps back on there for a second. If you will stop and just consider it for a second or so, you will realize that Savior doesn't just tell us who 
he is. Savior tells us what we are. Because the only people who need a Savior are sinners. Now, I love the way somebody wrote it years ago. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. And if our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. Therefore, God sent us a Savior. But this little baby lying there in that manger was not just the Savior. We're told that he is also the Lord. The title Lord is used over 9,000 times in the Old Testament. 6,000 of those times it's used to, uh, to, to, to refer to the name Yahweh, or what we commonly call uh, Jehovah. It's an amazing, awesome thing, really, because Jesus, this little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, born in a stable, was not just the Christ, the Messiah of the Jews. He's not just the, the Savior, Jesus, the Savior of the world, but he is the Lord of the universe. That's why not only do I want you to see what the angels say, I want you to hear what the angels sung. Look down there in verse 13. Because the Bible says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. Do you realize how subversive you've been this morning? Now, seriously. Do you realize by the songs that you have sung today, you, you would have been breaking the law in 17th century England. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, in 16, I think 1627, the English Parliament abolished most of what you and I would consider to be the traditional Christmas carols because they were considered to be part of a, quote, worldly festival. As a result, in the 17th and 18th centuries, there's really a scarcity of Christian hymns and carols. But it was during that time that a man by the name of Charles Wesley wrote one of the greatest, most loved Christmas carols that we sing every single year. And he based it on that passage that, we're just, that we just read. Listen to the verse and sing it if you know it. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. That's what those angels announced on that very first Christmas. But there's a second group. Not just the angels, but we, we're also introduced to the shepherds. Well, what did they do? The shepherds honored the sun. Go back to that verse that I told you to put your finger. Did y'all move your finger? I told you not to move your finger. Go back there to that verse that I told you to put your finger at down there. Look down there what it says in verse number 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now here's what you need to understand. Being a shepherd was not an, it's not an easy job now, and it was certainly not an easy job back then. As a matter of fact, it's a hard way to make a living. And so I, I grew up outside of Milan, Tennessee, and there was a, there was a, 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 a sheep farm uh, right across the road from us, and, and sheep are dirty, they're nasty, they're, they're dumb. And so it was, it's hard being a shepherd today. It's really hard uh, being a shepherd back in those days. As a matter of fact, they had a noble history. You need to know that. A noble history, a noble heritage because Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and David were all uh, shepherds. But by the time that you come here to the New Testament, by, by the time you get here to Luke chapter 2, being a shepherd had fallen on really hard times. As a matter of fact, if you were a shepherd, you were not even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. You were not considered to be reputable. And, and so you, if you were a shepherd, you were, you were, as a matter of fact, anybody know the name, remember the name Rodney Dangerfield? 
Like Rodney Dangerfield, they got no respect. And yet that's exactly who God chose to be the very first human group that he revealed the birth of his son to. You know why? Because God is a shepherd. Remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my Yeah, and even Jesus is a shepherd. He said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And so when it comes to the Savior and shepherding, what you might say is that it runs in the family. And look there in verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So the Bible says that they came. So that's their arrival if you're taking notes. Those shepherds had heard the angelic announcement and they said, we've got to check this out. We've got to see for ourselves. We've got to see if what the angel has said is actually really true. But not only did they come, the Bible says that they saw. That's their adoration. And so think about it with me for a second. When those shepherds looked into the face of that little baby, they saw Jesus. The Son of God who is now the son of Mary, they saw Jesus. The one who fills the universe is now confined to a little manger. They saw Jesus. We were having our Christmas Eve devotional last night, and uh, I was talking about some of what we're describing now about Jesus coming into this world And Kim asked the kids, she said, how big is God? And one of the kids said, he's eternal. And the theologian in me is going, that's time, that's time, that's time, that's time. And I wait for them to get it right. And finally I said, he's infinite. That's space, that's space, that's space and time. And so the infinite became an infant. They saw Jesus. He who was once wrapped in space is now wrapped in swaddling clothes because they saw Jesus. The one who held the world in in his arms is now held in the arms of his mother Mary. They saw Jesus. But here's the good part. Not only did they see Jesus, they came to know him. Because as a result of that encounter, the Bible says that they told. That's their announcement. They couldn't help it. They, They had seen him. They had experienced him. And they had to tell somebody. Look right here. If you've really met Jesus. Are y'all still there this morning? If you've really met Jesus, if Jesus has radically changed your life, I just believe that some way, somehow, along the way, you're going to want to tell somebody. I don't think that you can help it. If you have met Jesus and he has changed your life, I think that somehow it's going to come out and you're going to tell somebody about him. It is not only our, it is not only our glorious privilege to tell others about Jesus, it is also our sacred obligation. The shepherds had just been to the cradle. You and I have been to the cross. We've been to Calvary. How in the world can you or I do anything else but to tell others what Jesus Christ did for us? What a message. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to tell somebody about Jesus this Christmas season? I know it's almost over in your mind, but you've still got all kinds of days of Christmas coming. Y'all didn't know that because you're Baptist, but you've got all kinds of days coming. Are you going to share the good news that those angels sang and that those shepherds shared with anybody this Christmas? One of my favorite stories 
is a story about a U.S. senator, and his daddy was just an, I mean, just an old-timey, godly Christian man who loved to tell others about Jesus. And so this senator had invited his daddy to come to Washington for a big uh, soiree, and there was this uh, Belgium ambassador to the U.S. that was going to be there that night. And this senator was a little bit nervous because he knew if, if his daddy ever got to this ambassador, some way, somehow, he's going to witness to him, tell him about, about Jesus. And sure enough, that night, uh, this godly Christian man got to that uh, ambassador and began to talk to him about Jesus and about his soul. And it embarrassed that senator, I mean, to no end. Uh, but not long after that, that senator's dad died. And at the funeral, there was a spray of flowers delivered from that ambassador from Belgium. And the card said this, in memory of the only man in America who ever spoke to me about my soul. There are folks all across the CSRA who are just waiting for somebody to speak to them about their soul. They're just waiting for somebody to care enough about them to say a word about Jesus. There, there are some people, listen, there are some people in your family, there are some people in your neighborhood, there are some people that you work with that could be saved, could be one to faith in Christ between now and the end of the year if you or I just cared enough about them to tell them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what those shepherds did. But then there's one last group, and they're the wise men. And we find here that the wise men worship the sovereign. Now, you've got to turn back for this to Matthew chapter 2. Luke is the gospel of the servant. Matthew is the gospel of the king. And in Matthew chapter 2, we're told about a group of men who came to worship the king. Matthew says there, beginning in verse 1, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, we really don't know what nation these guys were from. They, they said they were from the east some guys think that they were from the orient maybe india others say just the persian gulf region in general we really don't know a whole lot about these guys other than the fact that they were the scientists they were the doctors they were the scholars of their day they they just simply slide into the christmas story and then just as quietly slip right away but in these verses in the verses that follow matthew shows us three things about these wise men that i want you to see before we leave because the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 20, he that walks with wise men will be what? Will be what? Yeah. I saw a bumper sticker years ago that said, wise men still seek him. And that's true because notice what they sought. The Bible says that they sought a star and they went to find the sovereign. That's what they said when they showed up at the door of King Herod. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. By the way, very first question in all the New Testament. It's not the last one, but it is the very first question in all of the pages of your New Testament. And it ought to be the very first question that you and I ask and answer today. The most important question of life, the most important question in your life, the most important question in my life ought to be, where is Jesus? How can I find Jesus? Because the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so we've got to ask, ask that question. Who is Jesus? Where is Jesus? How can I get to Jesus? How can I find Jesus? That's what they saw. But then notice what they thought. They thought that this king would be found in a castle. 
And I've got to be very honest with you this morning that at this point, to be wise men, they weren't all that smart. I guess it does make kind of sense that if you're going to look for a king, you ought to start looking in a, in a palace, but this was no ordinary king. They show up on Herod's... Are y'all still with me this morning? Amen. They show up on Herod's doorstep. Now watch this. I'm from the country, so let me just kind of use my sanctified imagination. They show up on Herod's doorstep. Door opens up, Herod walks to the door, and they say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. He didn't take that real kindly. He's an old man. He is very, very protective of, of his kingdom. I mean, he ought to be. He bought it with good money from the Romans. And so he's really protective. He will take you out if he thinks that you're going to become a threat to his, uh, to his reign. As a matter of fact, what you're going to discover here is by knocking on the door and asking Herod, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? They set in motion what came to be known as the massacre of the innocents where he murdered all the babies in Bethlehem. And I can just see him now. Oh, he is mad. He is pacing the grounds of the palace. He is slamming his fist down on his desk, another threat to his throne. He, rep he represents all of those who oppose the Lord Jesus. He represents all of those who will get in your way if you really want to know the truth. If you really want to know the truth, there are all kinds of people online, in the media, who will try to dissuade you from seeking after the truth. Sometimes there'll be an ungodly man in the media. All kinds of ugly Herods are running around, but these men are seeking truth. And let me ask you a question. Did you come to church on Christmas morning seeking the truth? Did you come to church this day seeking the truth? Do you really want to know the truth as Christmas? Some of you all are dying for me to say you can't handle the truth and I'm not going to do that. I know some of y'all. Do you want to know the truth that sets you free? Because what does the Bible say? You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we get ready to wrap it up. Look in verse 4. It's one of the most fascinating parts of the story to me. In verse 4, the Bible says there that he gathered all the priests and all the scribes together and he demanded, hey, tell me where Jesus, this Christ, is going to be born. And then in verses 5 and 6, I mean, just the next verse, in verses 5, he asked in verse 4, in verses 5 and 6, they know exactly where the Bible says that he's going to be born. These are Bible scholars. They know the Scriptures. And they quote for him Micah 5, 2, the prediction that the, in the Scripture that the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. Here's the kicker, and here's what really blows my mind. These men know exactly where the Messiah is going to be born. They know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. What's Bethlehem? Bethlehem's a little suburb of Jerusalem, about five miles to the south. Just a, just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Jerusalem. They know where he's going to be born but they're not even interested enough to go down there and see it for themselves. It's an amazing thing to me. And so the wise men represent those who are seeking Jesus, perhaps like some of you. And then the Herod represents those people who are opposing Jesus. 
And then these scribes, these experts of the law, represent those who are ignoring Jesus. They know the Scripture, and yet it hasn't gripped their hearts. They know what the Bible says about Jesus, but they haven't let the Scriptures lead them to Christ. And then the last thing, what they brought. Verse 11, they, the Bible says that when they found the child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshipped him. I want you to notice they didn't worship Mary. They worshiped Jesus. We talked about that some last week. They came and they worshiped. They gave gifts to Jesus. They did not give gifts to Mary. As far as I know, this is where the practice of giving gifts comes from. It originated right here. And by the way, I think it's kind of ironic and absolutely paradoxical that they gave gifts to him. We give gifts to each other. So you got up this morning, maybe 4 o'clock at your house too. I don't know. I'm not bitter. <laughs> but I am looking forward to going to bed. i got to be honest with you. <laughs> but when you got up this morning or yesterday, whenever you had, I guarantee you, you gave gifts to each other, right? They came on that first Christmas and they gave gifts to Jesus. They started giving gifts there. Now, let me ask you a question. How would it feel... If, if you were having a birthday party and uh, all these folks show up for your birthday party and they come in the door and they go, happy birthday, happy birthday, and they start giving gifts to each other and you don't get one. <laughs> See, that's, that's where we are today. So let me ask you a question today. Hey, Christian, church member, how much have you set aside for him? Hey, I hear at Abilene, we've, we have an overflow offering. It's going to go to mission and ministry. What are you going to give him this year? There's a little boy who came to his dad with a long list of Christmas uh, gifts that he wanted uh, this year. I mean, it was a long one. At the very top was, was a brand new set of, set of roller skates. And then there was just this list. I mean, it was this long of what he wanted this year. And his dad said, man, this is a really, really long list. I tell you what, before I begin to think through this list, I need to see your grades for this semester. And the little boy looked back at the dad. He said, hey, daddy, I tell you what, don't bother to check. I'll just settle for the roller skates. Bible says they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Somebody asked a little boy in Sunday school one morning, hey, what gift did the wise men bring to Jesus? And one of the little boys said they brought him gold, frankincense, and mermaids. <laughs> of course, if you were at Abilene singing Christmas tree, they brought socks too, right? We know what they brought, but a lot of times we're not really familiar with what they mean. Because every single one of these gifts had a meaning. Let me give them to you and we're done. Gold was a gift for a mighty king. And it, it reminds us that Jesus came to rule us. Jesus came to reign in our hearts. Because we all need somebody to tell us what to do. We start off in our life and think we got the world by the string. We know how to handle everything. And then you get down and get married and you realize you don't have to do much at all. You think that you've got it covered. I know how to run my life. I know how to take care of my marriage. I know how to do my job. I can handle everything. I can handle all this stuff. And then you realize you really can't. And so you need somebody to come alongside you and help you handle it all. You need somebody who can run your life for you. That's what Christmas is all about. We have a Savior who is the King. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. That will be true ultimately one of these days when everyone in heaven and everyone in earth and everyone under the earth bows their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and says, you are Lord. That's what gold represents. But then frankincense was a gold for a ministering prophet. 
It's a, it's a fragrance that was used by the priest. They would go into the temple with this fragrance. And it reminds us that Jesus is not just the king who's come to rule us, but rather he's also the priest who represents us. Jesus has been down where he knows what we go through. He knows what we experience. The Bible says in Hebrews that we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He knows what's going on down here. He's experienced what we've experienced. He's gone through what we've gone through. Isn't it good to know that we have someone in heaven who understands us, who cares? That's what frankincense, rather, that's what frankincense paints. And then lastly, Myrrh was a gift for a martyred prophet. Myrrh was an antiseptic that was used for embalming. Does that kind of hit you strange like it does me? It's a strange gift to give a baby, right? I mean, what if you were having a baby shower and somebody brought you embalming fluid? How would you feel? I like the way one pastor put it. He said, there was the fragrance of death all about the life of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ was born to die. He came into this world to die. That's the purpose. That's the plan. That's the passion, the reason and meaning of his coming. But that, there's a prediction, though, in Isaiah chapter 60. And it talks about his second coming, and it says that there are going to be gifts that are going to be brought to him, and they're going to bring him gold, and they're going to give frankincense. But it doesn't mention myrrh. Why? Because he only came one time to die. He only had to die once because once was enough. He made that one sacrifice for sin forever. The price has been paid. That's what Christmas is all about. Your sin debt has already been paid by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A pastor dropped by to see Dr. Billy Graham one day when he walked in. Dr. Graham was reading a book by Charles Spurgeon on the power of the blood. And Dr. Graham looked back at this pastor and he said, I still believe now what I believed all those years ago when I first started preaching. <clears throat> Folks, there is power in the blood of Jesus. And because Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins and my sins, the good news of Christmas is that your sins have been paid for. And if you're going to be a wise person, you'll come to Jesus. And if you come to Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. If you'll notice there in verse 12 as we close, the Bible says that they turned and departed into their own country another way. And I love what the Bible says. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what Christmas is all about. A baby born to die for the sins of the world. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. 
fulfilled in the virgin birth and the sinless life of Jesus when he died in your place, my place on the cross. And then he rose from the dead that first Easter morning. I've said this this past week a lot. I love that we get to celebrate Christmas together and worship on this day. I know others didn't. But I love the fact that we get to worship on this day because on the Lord's Day, on Christmas Day, on the Lord's Day, we get to celebrate both his birth and his resurrection from the dead for our sins. Amen? Amen. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never been saved. You could experience the forgiveness of sins that I've been talking about for the last several minutes before you stand to your feet, before you leave this place, before you sing the first word. You could receive the greatest gift ever given. Paul describes Jesus as God's unspeakable gift. You can't even put it into words. Because 2,000 years ago, on that first Christmas, Jesus was born of a virgin. He died on the cross in your place, and he rose from the dead for you.